The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're a Christian, you're destined for an eternity in heaven. Knowing that should affect the way you live here on earth. But is that really happening? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at how your future in heaven should be shaping your present virtues and values. To introduce the thought-provoking conclusion of his message, What's Up With Heaven? Here's David. Well, the title's a little bit uh, clicky, isn't it? What's Up With Heaven? A little bit of modern jargon put in with the destination to which we're headed. Yesterday we talked about uh, the place we soon shall be, what heaven is like. And today we're going to talk about what kind of people we should be because we're going to heaven. Did you know that if you know you're going to heaven, it changes the way you function on earth? The Bible teaches us in the book of Second Peter that people who are going to heaven should be people of purity, promise, purpose, persistence, and progress. Are you that kind of a person? We're going to take each one of these and look at them today as we open our Bibles together. Hey, there's a beautiful study guide that goes with this series that's on the air. It's the largest study guide we ever did. It's got 16 chapters in it. It's thicker, almost looks like the book itself, but it organizes all this material for you so you can use it in a small group Bible study, and it helps you study it yourself. So if you don't have this, be sure to go to our website. There you will find all of the Great Disappearance material. And if you haven't received the book yet, if you do not have a copy of this brand new book that has just come out, it's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point. All you have to do is send a gift and say, please send me Dr. Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance, and we'll send it to you right away. You'll have it in time to follow much of what we're talking about in this series. But most of all, you'll have it for the future. This book has 31 chapters in it. And we have tried to examine every different part and side of the rapture. We've asked a lot of questions like, what about the children? Uh, one of the questions people ask a lot of time is, why the delay? If Jesus' coming is imminent, why is he taking so long? What about salvation in the tribulation? We're going to talk about that tomorrow here on this broadcast. So you need to have this book if you want to be rapture ready. I hope you'll get your copy. Uh, they're available to you from Turning Point for a gift of any size or Barnes & Noble. You can go to uh, Books A Million. It's in all of the Hobby Lobby stores. This book is really important. I believe it's the most important book I've ever written, and it's coming out of the gate like it believes it too. So thank you for being a part of the great disappearance campaign, and let's study what the Bible says we should be like because we're going to heaven. Heaven is precious to us because we're citizens of heaven. Did you know that? Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
In this country, when you apply for a passport, you have to state where you were born, where you currently live, your birthday, so forth. And if you get approved, the government issues you a passport to let other governments know that you are a citizen of the United States or Germany or Mexico or wherever. And for me, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, and I live in San Diego, California. I have a United States passport, but my real residence is in heaven. As Christians, we are not citizens of earth who are going to heaven. We are citizens of heaven who are traveling through the earth. Let that reality change the way you live each day. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're citizens of heaven trying to make it through earth on our way to the place where we ultimately will be in the Father's house when we get home. Our real estate is in heaven. Our Redeemer is in heaven. Our relationships are in heaven. Our residence is in heaven. And one more, our riches are in heaven. Here's what... The book of Matthew teaches us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now what a statement that is. It tells us how we can send our riches to heaven. The only way you can get your treasures from here to there is by investing in God's work. Friends, there are no U-Haulets following a hearse. There are no pockets in a shroud. You cannot take your money with you to heaven. You cannot take your house with you to heaven. You cannot take your car, your boat, your clothing. But you can take other people with you. And that's how you take riches to heaven. There are only two things going from the earth to heaven. Souls of human beings and the word of God. Whatever you invest in those two things will be in heaven as an investment you've made there and your riches will be there. So if you're trying to build equity in heaven, you have to invest your time and your talents and your treasure in the word of God and in the souls of men and women. Every bit of energy you put into the propagation of the gospel to people of the world, all that you do to enhance the Word of God so that it can be understood and taught, and everything you do to teach the Word of God, help people understand the Word of God, you are investing in heaven, and those riches are in heaven waiting for you. And the Bible says they cannot be destroyed, they cannot be stolen. And as someone who has lost a couple of really nice suits because of moths, the moths can't get them either. So, the only things going from earth to heaven are eternal souls and the Word of God. So that's the place we soon shall be. Let me review. Our real estate is in heaven. Our Redeemer is in heaven. Our relationships are in heaven. Our residence is in heaven. And our riches are in heaven. But now I want to tell you that the Bible tells us this is not just pie in the sky by and by. That we don't just now get to say, oh boy, we're going to heaven. No, the Bible teaches us that what we think about the future has a great deal to how we live our lives today. So point number one is the place we soon shall be. And point number two is the people we now should be. 
And if you understand the Bible, you know that to be the truth. The Bible tells us we're to lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing nigh. The Bible tells us to set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. And the New Testament constantly affirms that what we believe about heaven affects how we live now. How we view the future has a tremendous influence on how we conduct ourselves in the present. So heaven is not just a place that we are going to see. Heaven tells us the kind of people that we should be. How should we live in light of what we know about eternal life? Well, I would like to direct you to one scripture, one little passage in the Bible where all of this stuff is kind of organized for us. It's Second Peter chapter 3. I think it's very helpful to see the practicality of it. This tells you how heaven affects you now. It's so wonderful, and it's so clear, and it's so vital to who all of us are. First of all, it says, because we're going to heaven someday, we should be people of purity. Second Peter 3.11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In this verse, Peter describes the lifestyle of a Christ follower who understands the future plan of God. He says that we ought to be people of holy conduct. He adds the word godliness, which means to have a Godward attitude or to do the things that are pleasing to God. The apostle John agreed. He wrote, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And Paul told Timothy to exercise himself toward godliness and to pursue godliness. This affects the words that we speak. This affects the things that we watch. This affects the things that we think and the habits that we cultivate. The Bible says because we're going to heaven, we should start bringing a little bit of heaven into our lives down here. Start living like we are worthy of living in heaven. You say, well, I'm just going to get all I can get out of this earth and everything it's got, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. No, that's not the way you're supposed to live. The Bible says, because we're going to heaven, it should motivate us to want to live godly lives here and now. You know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a little transition, obviously, from how we've lived to being in heaven. You see what I'm saying? We should live in such a way that when we get to heaven, we just kind of walk out of the world we're in and into that world where all of the resistance toward godliness has been removed. In his book on heaven, Randy Alcorn helps us understand how God's future should motivate us to live holy lives. He said, if my wedding date is on the calendar and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I shouldn't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I've meditated on heaven, sin is terribly unappealing. It's when my mind drifts from heaven that sin seems attractive. Thinking of heaven leads inevitably to pursuing holiness. Our high tolerance of sin testifies of our failure to prepare for heaven. A young man I had not met before walked up to me and he said, Are you Dr. Jeremiah? I said, Yes, sir. I want to say, I know I don't look like a preacher, but I am Dr. Jeremiah. And he said, Can I ask you a question? And I said, Yes, sir. And he said this to me. How does a young man like me deal with lust? I wasn't expecting that. But I remembered this. I said, Sir, 
you just can't write down a hundred times, I will not lust and get over it because that'll just make it worse. Here's what I suggest to you. You need to cultivate a love that's so great that lust can't get in the door. You need to love God so much that you won't let the enemy have a piece of your life. And then I told him this story. When the Passion of the Christ was shot some years ago, and I'd heard a lot about it, I was invited to go to a premiere of the movie, which was at the Prestonwood Church in Dallas. So I gathered up a bunch of our staff. We chartered a plane, and we went there to see that film. Now, if you've seen the film, you know that it is an incredible presentation of the suffering of Jesus Christ before he went to the cross, the beatings, the thrashing of his body that took place, the sadness and sorrow of his mother. I wasn't expecting it. I thought we would talk about the film on our way home on the plane, but when we got on the plane to come home, I'll be honest with you, not one word was spoken all the way home. I heard a few sniffles. The film was so emotional, it took your breath away. It took my breath away. And I remember praying a prayer that night that I've never forgotten. I recommend it. I said, Lord, when I realize what you have done for me, how you've suffered that I might be able to go to heaven. I promise you I will do everything within my power not to do anything that grieves your heart. I do not want to grieve you with my life. And you know, that's a good way to live. To love someone so much that you don't want to ever do anything to hurt them. That's a good way to overcome a lesser love by a greater love. And that's what I told that young man. And we talked about it. We should be people of purity. Secondly, we should be people of promise. In addition to lifting up godliness and holy conduct, Peter encouraged Christ's followers to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In other words, be mindful of God's promises of the future, specifically the rapture and the second coming. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. And I underlined in that little statement the words snowed under because our thoughts about heaven get snowed under, don't they? We go through life, we're glad we're going to heaven. Oh yeah, I'm glad I'm not going to the other place. I'm going to heaven. But then if we're not careful, we go through life and heaven just becomes a subject we study when we go to church. It doesn't become a real place to us. It's not something we look forward to. And only when we lose somebody we love does heaven become real. And then it becomes real to us. According to Peter, it's easy to become indifferent to the coming of the Lord. He says we are to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. And he wrote this in verse 12. He said, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. We should be looking forward to it, anticipating the time when he comes back. I love the word anticipation. I've learned with my family that when you have a trip that's scheduled, it's almost as much fun anticipating the trip as it is taking the trip. And it's a lot easier. There's no effort involved. You don't have to get on a plane. You just think about it. And it fills your heart with joy. That's the way it should be about heaven. We should be filled with joy as we anticipate our time with the Lord in heaven. Then we should be people of purpose. He said, 
in verse 14 of 2 Peter 3, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. In Peter's day, there were some who thought that since the Lord was coming back soon, they should just take it easy and coast into heaven. And the very opposite is true. Because Christ is coming back, we're to be filled with urgency. We're to be diligent, consistently mindful of our purpose. I like Luke 19, 13 says, Do business till I come. The Bible tells us we're to be about the Lord's work as we anticipate his return. He could come back today. Whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we shouldn't be waiting. I believe in long-term planning, but not when heaven is concerned. Heaven is a moment that could happen any time. Whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we best be doing it. I love that phrase, do business till I come. Let's be caught at the coming of the Lord, seriously serving Him. Oh, what urgency these truths should put into our daily routine. And then we should be people of persistence. The Bible says we're to be steadfast in this. We're to always be doing this over and over again. We're not to lose our vision. And finally, the Bible tells us that we're to be people of progress. What does that mean? Well, here's a verse I learned a long time ago as I was growing up. One of the first verses I was asked to memorize. It's the last words of Peter, the last words recorded of him in the Bible. 2 Peter 3.18. Do you remember this one? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's just leave it there. The Bible says between the time you become a Christian and the time you go to heaven, you're to be growing in the Lord. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. But you should be able to look back and say, I know more about Jesus. I know him better now than I did last year. When I was growing up at home, my mother had a place in the cupboard in the kitchen where you walk in this door and she would take us in there every year and make us stand up against the wedge and she'd put a mark on the door. And I was very interested in that because I dreamed of being six foot eleven and ended up only being six foot two and then I settled down and got married and I'm only six foot one now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I always thought I want to be taller than I was last year so you could see the marks. That's kind of what we should be doing as Christians, isn't it? We should be testing ourselves. You know, it's easy to become a Christian and then just kind of, you know, fall asleep and not do much. Be very passive. We should be asking the Lord, Lord, help me to set some goals for this year so that I can know you better this year than I knew you last year. And you only can know him through this book. It's the only place you'll ever find him. When you study the Gospels, you learn about Jesus. And when you learn about Jesus, you learn to know God because Jesus is the revelation of God to us. So the question is, are we growing? Are we growing in our faith? Are we making progress? Or are we static? So many Christians only have one thought. I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. But there's more to life as a Christian than just knowing you're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's growing through the will of God, through the word of God, and through the work of God. You know what I've learned? after being a pastor for over 50 years, the happiest, healthiest people as Christians are the people who are serving the Lord. If you're a Christian and you just come and sit and sour and soak every week, you're going to be okay, but you're not going to be real happy. 
Happiness is taking the things that God has given you, your gifts, your resources, your life, and investing it in others. Because when you serve God, that's where the joy comes from. That's where you learn what it means to know him and trust him. Somebody once told me, if you want to learn the Bible, be a teacher. You know why that's true? Because if you're a teacher, they're going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to, and you're going to have to go figure them out. And then you grow in your faith. So serving the Lord is really the key to growing. It's the spiritual exercising of your spiritual muscles that give you the opportunity to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Could I ask you a question today? What are you doing to serve Christ? How are you using your life, your resources, your energy to make a difference in the lives of people? That's what it means to grow. And you can use a lot of other ways that are kind of mysterious. Nothing mysterious about that. When you serve the Lord, you grow in grace. I hope you're serving him as so many of you are. You know, C.S. Lewis was very wise about heaven. In fact, he's written things about heaven I've never seen any place else. And he is responsible for this somewhat famous statement. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. And then he wrote this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither one. Isn't that the truth? If you aim at heaven and let that be your force, you get heaven and you get this earth. But if you live your life just for the earth, you miss out on heaven and you miss out on the earth as well. So what can I tell you that's more motivating than that? To serve the Lord and honor him with your life. Well, heaven is a wonderful place. We must remember that the only reason we can go to heaven is because God left heaven to come to us. According to Pastor Matt Smethers, 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, God lived the life we failed to live, died the death we deserved to die, and rose again so that all who embrace him could enjoy him forever. If you're trusting Jesus, he wrote for salvation, the judge of the cosmos looks at you, sin and all, and sees his spotless son, not you. If you're trusting Jesus for salvation, you are righteous before God. Did you ever stop to think, ask A.W. Tozier, that God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are to be there? He wants you to be with him. I go to prepare a place for you, he said, so that where I am, there you could be also. I'm amazed at how many times in the New Testament we run into this truth about God wanting us to be with him. He wants you to be with him. And I want you to be with him. And I hope you want to be with him so that you have made preparation to go to heaven when you die by putting your trust in Christ. One day, when George MacDonald, the great 19th century writer, was talking with his son, the conversation turned to heaven. And his son said to him, Dad, heaven just seems too good to be true. And a smile crossed McDonald's face. He said, no, son, it's just so good. It must be true. Because there's not anything like it anywhere. In literature, on the earth, 
anything you've ever read or heard. Heaven is God's place. It's the Father's house. I hope you're ready to go to the Father's house. I want to ask you today, have you made reservations? Here's how you do it. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. You say, why do I have to do that? Because the Bible says the only way you can go to heaven is by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father or to the Father's house except through Christ. Well, friends, you you need to know Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to tell you, we're having hundreds of people come to Christ in the early part of this series. People are calling Turning Point and saying, I am not rapture ready. What do I do? Friends, if you don't get ready and Jesus comes, it will be too late. This is a clarion call for you to do what in your heart you know you should have done a long time ago. Put your trust in Christ. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just bow your head and ask Jesus Christ to come and be your Savior. Confess to Him that you're a sinner and that you're sorry for your sin and ask Him to come and live within your heart. He will do it. And then please let us know. We have a wonderful book that we want to send you called Your Greatest Turning Point. It will help you get a great start in your walk with the Lord. Well, have a great day, and we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We appreciate your notes of encouragement, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. Informative and inspiring, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on any screen with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Mark Twain once said that there are two times in a man's life when he shouldn't speculate with his money, when he can't afford it, and when he can. In other words, 
investing is safer than speculating. Speculation is like presuming on the future, something the Bible warns against. In his letter, the Apostle James tells a parable of men who plan to go into business and make a lot of money. James warns that they should say, if it is God's will, we will do thus and so. There's a difference between presumption and faith, and the Bible encourages us to engage only in the latter. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's will on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.